Amen. <laughs> Amen. God is good. I want to take care of a few matters of housekeeping first, just because my ADD won't let me uh, do anything else this morning until I do. And so, uh, if you haven't noticed, this is not one of those moments in my ministry where I change over from expository preaching to topical preaching, where I have a whole bunch of props on stage in order to alliterate to you the message, all right? I, I, we're not going to do that, but uh, I will tell you this, it is VBS week, and so I'm greatly excited about what God is going to do this week through Vacation Bible School here at First Baptist Church, and so that is what is happening on stage, okay? So don't think that your preacher has lost his mind, that he has went off the deep end with some kind of new age church plan idea because he's wearing a t-shirt under a jacket and he has a bunch of props on stage, okay? That's not happening this morning. A couple other things, all right? One is we have a fantastic, beautiful piano that is in our sanctuary now. Uh, yeah, you can go ahead and cheer for that. Um, and uh, we have a great piano player who plays it. Um, I, yeah, amen, yeah. I, I, I tried to key it a little bit last week, and, and I was like, man, I, I miss Brandon. Um, and so uh, it sounds fantastic. Thank you so much for those that have put work in to, to get that into here. Um, and then I also have one more thing before we begin. A couple weeks ago, a challenge was posed to us that if we will ask for the souls of lost men, of lost people, lost women and children, if we will ask for the souls of lost people, then God would display faithful wonders of His love. And the challenge was this, that we would pray that God would save one person every week. In and through our church, in connection with our church. And I want to tell you that last week was amazing because we had testimony of a young man who had got saved. And this week I haven't heard any testimony yet. And so, here's what I want to do. I want to give an opportunity. If someone has a testimony of someone that has come to know the Lord this week, then I want to give you a moment to share that. And if not, then we're going to spend a few moments in prayer before we begin this morning. If anyone has a word of testimony, now would be the time to speak in. Okay. If you would, bow with me. I'm going to ask that you pray to yourself, and pray aloud if you please. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Remember that challenge, that if we would ask for the souls of lost men, that God would display the wonders of His mighty love, of His faithful love, His enduring love, His gracious love. And especially in light of Vacation Bible School this week, would you pray that God would draw one young soul to understand the gospel and to receive it? Father God, we, we come in repentance. God, I come in repentance. For the moments this week that I let go by without sharing the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, God, I pray that you would forgive us for our lack 
of intentionality. Forgive us for our lack of urgency with the gospel that we carry. And God, we come to you again asking, God, that you would save one this week. God, that you would draw one soul to yourself. God, that in and through our church we would see salvation come to one. God, I'm reminded that you will do exceedingly abundantly all above what we think or ask. And so God, when we ask for one, we know that you will display the wonders of your faithful love. God, would you challenge us this week? Would you give us opportunity this week to share the gospel with someone that we come across? Let us not leave it to our paid staff at our church. Let us not leave it to those that we think are gifted with evangelism. But rather, let us take on the call to go and make disciples ourselves. God, we want to praise you in that. We want to give you glory in that. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I also want to, uh, I also want to say a, give a public uh, confession and apology. Uh, if anyone was present while we were uh, doing all this VBS work, um, I spoke uh, very harshly and disrespectfully with my wife in the hallway, and, and I just want to apologize to anyone that was around for that. Um, it, it was it was unnecessary, and it was excessive, and uh, um, I, I've, I've already worked that out with her. We, she's here this morning, so that's a good sign, um, but uh, I, I just want to apologize if anyone was around for that. It was not a good example of what uh, Christ-like uh, love and honoring in the home should look like, and so I apologize for that. I do want to begin with a thought this morning for you. I want to begin with this idea, and it comes from a great theologian, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss said this, Sometimes you will never know the value of something until it becomes a memory. Sometimes you will never know the value of something until it becomes a memory. Now, Dr. Seuss has been credited with stealing that notion from one George Duhamel who was an author, a French author. And he said it like this, we do not know the true value of our moments until they have undergone the test of memory. Like the images the photographer plunges into a golden bath, our sentiments take on color. And only then, after that recoil and that transfiguration, do we understand their real meaning and enjoy them in all their tranquil splendor. Sometimes you will never know the value of something until it becomes a memory. We know this in our own lives from times past, mostly surrounding times with loved ones in past. We never understand the value of something until it becomes a memory. And for a lot of us, remembering something is a struggle. For a lot of us, Calling to memory something that has happened, transpired, something that has been said is difficult. And as we get older, that becomes more of the case. For some reason, 
I don't know why God designed it this way. But for some reason, from the ages of three to about the ages of nine, children remember everything. They remember what you said. They remember what you did. They remember what you promised. They even remember how much money is in your bank account when you don't. I don't understand that. But for some reason in God's design from the ages of 10 to 18, the human body undergoes some sort of weird thing where it can't remember a single thing that it's told to do, where it can't remember a single thing that it is supposed to do, and it can't remember a single thing that mom or dad ever said, period. And then 18 hits. And all of a sudden, we got a bunch of college students who can memorize entire pages of books because it's required because you're spending money for that education and so you've got this grand memory that happens until you hit about 30 and then there's a downhill plunge towards memory loss now the exception to this happens between male and female because apparently Females can remember much more than males can, and often it has to do with males that they remember those things. Memory. I'm reminded of this story. A couple was sitting in the worship service when the wife suddenly gasped and said, oh, this is awful. She said, I forgot to turn the iron off at home. To which her husband replied, Don't worry, dear, the, the house won't burn down for long. I think I forgot to turn the faucet in the bathtub off. You see, memory is something that uh, is vitally important. Memory serves us well. Alexander Smith, the great Scottish poet, said, A man's real possession is his memory. In nothing else is he rich, and in nothing else is he poor. Richard Livingston, a British billionaire, said, There are few greater treasures to be acquired in youth than great poetry stored in the memory. At the time, one may resent the labor of storing it, but they sleep in the memory and awake in later years, illuminated by life and illuminating it you may have great memories and what we're going to talk about today is remembering the victories I think it's fitting that we have the stage that we have because I'm going to use a lot of sports analogy today but I want us to be challenged to remember the victories today I can tell you of a few victories myself Fifth grade basketball, 1998. Me and my team, we all thought that we were the 98 Bulls. Now, there was much argument about who was Michael Jordan at that time. And we all were, because nobody wanted to be a Steve Kerr or a Dennis Rodman. We all wanted to be Jordan. But I remember specifically our fifth grade basketball year, and specifically the last game of the year. We were in a region tournament to finish, it, finish out the year, 
and we were playing our nemesis, all right? So, so in sports, you have that one team, that rivalry team that you always somehow face in important moments. And every game that you play is close. Every game that you play is intense. Well, for us, Luther Little League fifth grade basketball team, that was Indian Meridian. All right, they had two kids that were like a foot taller than the rest of us. All right, we were much faster, much more skilled than they were. But when you're in fifth grade and there's two kids that are almost six foot, there's not a whole lot you can do. But we were playing them in the finals. It was a tight game. Came down to the end of the game and we were down by one. I was throwing the ball in. I was about at half court and I remember the only person that was open was Josh Mansell just to my right. And we had maybe half a second, a little more on the clock. The coach told us, hey, just throw the ball in and whoever catches it, chunk it. Well, Mansell runs up from the lane. I throw the ball to him. He turns around, throws that ball. Buzzer goes off in the air. That ball hits nothing but net. And you'd have thought that we won the world championship. I remember that victory. Fast forward to another victory. It was my freshman year. Whether I was good or not, or simply just the only person who could handle the ball and run the offense, as a freshman I was called up to the varsity squad and I was made a starter on our high school basketball team. And we were playing in our first tournament of the year. Now, for this freshman who was much smaller than everybody else on the court, and who was scared out of his mind most of my freshman year, this was a big deal. Our team wasn't very good, but for some reason we had put together a string of some good games, and we had made it to the finals of this first tournament. And we come to the end of the game, and all of a sudden, we have fought this team tooth and nail and we're down by two when we've got about four and a half seconds left. Coach calls the timeout. We go over to the huddle, and he's beginning to draw up a play. And I remember looking over at Brian Henry, who was a junior. He was, he was the leader on our team. And Brian looks up at Coach, and he says, Coach, I think DJ should take the shot. Now, I'm sure that my face and Coach's face matched in our surprise of what just came out of his mouth. But coach, for some reason, when he came to himself, he said, you know, I think that's a good idea. And I'm over there thinking, no, it's not. <laughs> Definitely not. I remember that play. I, I pass the ball in, and I receive it back, and I'm driving down the court, down the left side, and all of a sudden, Brian shows up and sets one of the best screens that I've never seen because I was already past it. And all of a sudden, I look up at the clock, and there's about a second left. And I pull up a jumper from the left side about six feet out from the three-point line. Launched that and prayed like I'd never prayed before in my life. Sure enough, that ball went in and we won. And yet again, you'd have thought we won the world championship. It was a good day. Fast forward another three years. It was our senior year. It was senior night. And one of our rivals that had been our rivals since even grade school was coming into town to play us. And the game was packed. We had 
The sports animal was there broadcasting. It was a highlight game of the week. And my feelings and emotions that day, athletes, basketball players specifically, you'll understand this. Listen, I could have been blindfolded, had the flu, and severed my spinal cord, and I could have made anything I threw at the goal. Okay? And so it was one of those days, and sure enough, we get to play in the game. I have a career high in points and assists. We annihilate that poor team from Bethany that didn't know what they were walking into that night. It was one of the sweetest memories that we had. It was awesome. It was awesome. But I can more vividly remember one game in particular. February the 26th, 2005. Jim and Muskogee. We lost that game. It was the area finals. Win it. We go to state. Something that uh, a men's basketball team had not done to that point at Luther. We had one of those teams that should have went to state. I remember we lost by one point that night. I remember vividly how the game played out. I could probably give you play-by-play of just about the entire game. But we lost. It was the last time that we'd played together as a high school team. The last time that a lot of us would play together until college. It was the last time, the last loss that we would have together after playing together for 10, 12 years. But it brings up something very interesting about humanity. And this is probably true in your life. When we begin to recall the things of our life, we think about the losses a lot more than the victories. We begin to recall all those times of failure rather than the times of triumph. And that's the interesting thing about us. Is that we, when called to remembrance, will pull together some of the worst things in our life and never remember the victories. If you have your Bible, take and turn to Psalm chapter 18. I want to encourage and challenge you today to remember the victory. I've titled this message, Remember the Victory. Because it is vitally important for you and I to understand as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, it's vitally important for us to recall the victory. Psalm chapter 18, would you stand with me and honor the reading of God's Word? If some of you looked ahead, you understand that there is 50 verses. I won't make you stand for all of them. But I do want to read a few of them. Verse 1. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. The ropes of death 
were wrapped around me. The torrents of destruction terrified me. The ropes of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. I called to the Lord in my distress, and I cried to my God for help. From His temple He heard my voice, and my cry to Him reached His ears. And then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the mountains trembled, and they shook because my God burned with anger. Fast forward with me to verse 46. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. The God of my salvation is exalted. God, He grants me vengeance and subdues peoples under me. He frees me from my enemies. You exalt me above my adversaries. You rescue me from violent men. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, Lord. I will sing praises about your name. He gives great victories to his king. He shows loyalty to his anointed, to David, and to his descendants forever. Let's pray together. Father God, as we venture through this psalm, I pray that you would recall to us in memory the great victory that we have in you. God, I pray that your word would speak mightily to us today. God, that your name, that your fame, that your glory would go forth, that we would rest in the victory of Christ our Savior. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This psalm of victories remembered was written and sung after the Lord made David king of all Israel. And He gave him victory over the nations that opposed His rule. Another version of this psalm is found in 2 Samuel 22. And David alludes to it again in Psalm 116. No matter how much Saul persecuted David, David did not consider Saul his enemy. If you read through the story of David, David had several opportunities in which to strike Saul. But David knew that Saul was not his enemy. David knew that everything was designed and planned for a purpose, not concerning his enemy, but concerning his deliverer. I got a text from someone this week about a study they were going through about how we often fear our adversary more than we fear God. And I've always put it this way, is that I would rather fear my coach than to fear the other team. Because I don't have to go back to the other team's locker room. David knew that his deliverer was the focal point. David knew that his deliverer was the object that he should set his eyes on. In fact, here in this chapter, deliver is a key verb used. It's used in the title of Psalm 18. 
If you notice the title, it's a long one. For the choir director of the servant of the Lord, David, who spoke the words of this song to the Lord on the day the Lord delivered him from the grasp of all his enemies and from the power of Saul. Rather than this psalm being directed at a certain instance in connection with Saul, the psalm was most likely instituted as a national anthem of sorts that would be sung to praise God for His deliverance of the nation of Israel. I'm sure that as David penned the words here, his mind wandered back to the lions and the bears that he would have to wrestle with and ultimately destroy so that he could protect his father's flock. I'm sure that the face of the giant Goliath came into David's mind as he penned these words here of God's deliverance. I'm sure that as he pens the words in verse 25 and on, when he says, with the faithful, you prove yourself faithful. With the blameless, you prove yourself blameless. With the pure, you prove yourself pure. I'm sure that as he spoke and wrote those words and then followed them later on with, I can attack a barricade with my God. And with him I can leap over a wall. I wonder if the faces of David's loyal, mighty men ran through his brain as they triumphed and trampled into giants and beasts and armies and stood atop the mound victorious. I'm sure David began to recall all these things. David knew how to recall the victories. Especially in this psalm, Especially in relation to a mighty God. A God who enabled and enforced every victory that David had. David was a special individual. But it was only because at one point, the prophet Samuel had walked in and had anointed that boy from the sheep field. You see, God would be the one who would bring the victory. And David knew it. And he knew how to recall the victories. You see, the focus of this psalm is on the Lord and what He graciously did for His servant David. But it also tells us what He can do for us today. If we will learn to remember the victory. There's some important things about remembering the victory. And I want to walk through them real quick with you. You see, to remember the victory, first, you have to remember where you were. You have to remember where you were. Look at what David says in verse 4. The ropes of death were wrapped around me. The torrents of destruction terrified me. The ropes of Sheol entangled me. And the snares of death confronted me. You must remember where you were in order to remember the victory. You see, none of us came out perfect. Some of us think we did. 
But none of us came out perfect. You must remember where you were. Let me remind you of the victory in relation to where you were. You see, you and I, we were born into a world of sin. But more than just being born into a world of sin, we were born sinful. You see, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, it was inherited to us that we would be born into this world separated from God. And God saw David and he was wrapped in the ropes of death. And let me tell you something this morning. Before victory came in your life, or maybe you're here today and victory hasn't come, you are wrapped in the ropes of death this morning. The Bible tells us, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. That you and I, because of our sin, because of where we were in our sin, we were bound for death. We could echo the call of verse 4. The ropes of death were wrapped around me. And the torrents of destruction terrified me. You see, in order to remember the victory, we've got to remember where we were. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You see, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You see, we have to remember where we were in order to remember the victory. Nobody's going to get to heaven. I want you to hear me on this. Nobody's going to get to heaven and be like, yeah, I could have got here on my own. You see, I fought that for a long time in my own life. When I talk about remembering where I was, I remember where I was. I was trapped in the grip of good works, trying my best, trying my hardest to do all I could to be good enough for God. We have to remember where we were. Secondly, we've we got to remember who God is. We've got to remember who God is. Look with me. Verse 30. God. I love how David does that, by the way. He does it almost as if this is like a Webster's Dictionary definition. Does your Bible have that little, that little uh, hyphen right after it? That little separator? It says, God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock? Only our God. God, He clothes me with strength. And makes me my way perfect. He makes me like the feet of a deer and sets me securely on the heights. He trains my hands for war. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand upholds me. Your humility exalts me. You make a spacious place beneath me for my steps. And my ankles do not give way. 
Not only do we have to remember in the victory what, where we were, but we've got to remember who God is. One of the great things about the sports world is that no matter how much, no matter how much a coach tries to put all the attention on his players, there's one person that everybody wants to go to in the midst of victory. And it's the coach. He's the one that does press conferences. He's the one they find and say, hey, can we do an interview? He's the one that players talk about. And our God is no different. You see, when we recall the victory, we point it back to the very one and who He is in our life. And not only who He is, but thirdly, what He's done. When we remember the victory, we have to remember where we were and who God is, but we also have to remember what He's done. Verse 32, He clothes me with strength and makes my way perfect. You couldn't make your way perfect, only He could. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me securely on the heights. He trains my hands for war. My arms can bend a a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation. Look ahead at verse 43. What God has done. You have freed me from the feuds among the people. You have appointed me the head of nations. A people I had not known served me. Foreigners submit to me, cringing as soon as they hear they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling from their fortifications. You see, our victory never had anything to do with us. It had everything to do with God. You and I, we were dead in our sin. And there was a Jesus who came and lived a perfect life. And He died a sinner's death. You know why? So that you and I could not get the glory in our salvation. So that you and I could not attain our salvation. So that you and I could not work towards our salvation. But simply so that Jesus Christ would be the only name that we could boast in whenever we talk about being saved. That He would be the only one that we can point to when we say, He is my salvation. He is my rock. He is my shield. You and I had nothing to do with it. It was all Him. And that's the great thing about remembering the victory. Is that you and I had little, in fact, no part in it. When Jesus died, and He rose again, He said, I have conquered death, hell and the grave. I hold the keys to the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus and what He has done for us is vital to remembering the victory. We remember where we were. We remember who He is. We remember what He's done. I want you to think about this for me with just a second. And we remember why he did it. The Bible tells us God loved us in as much as we were still sinners. Christ died for us. 
You guys know this verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. When we remember the victory, we, ha- we must remember why it was that we were victorious. I'm going to get really excited for a minute just because this is how cool God is and this is how the ministry of the Word works in our hearts. I want you to look with me at the end of verse 50. He gives great victories to his king. He shows loyalty to his anointed. To David and his descendants forever. Now, if we were just in passing, that may not mean much to you. But I want to remind you of something this morning. That God had a plan in the victory. And his plan in the victory was not just for King David. It was not just for the nation of Israel. It was not just a momentary glimpse into military victory or into political victory. But God had a plan in David's life for David and his descendants forever. You know what that means? That means that David and all who followed in the seat of the king, in the seat of David, in the seed itself of David can hold on to the promises of Psalm 18, can hold on to the victory of Psalm 18. I want to remind you this morning that out of the seed of David came a king who would ultimately be the king of kings. Out of the seed of David came the Lord of lords. Out of the seed of David came that little boy who was born in Bethlehem who would live in a perfect life and die for my sin and yours. Out of the seed of David, his descendant Jesus Christ would be blessed His descendant, Jesus Christ, would have victory. But more than that, I want you to understand something. That the Bible is very clear to us that we are co-heirs with Christ. That means you and I, that we can take hold of Psalm 18, verse 50, when it says David and his descendants forever, that you and I are victorious in Psalm 18, that you and I have claimed victory in Psalm 18. This is not one of the messages about, hey, your life's going to get better, go ahead and claim the victory. But what it is a message is, is that you and I have a promise that we are the descendants and we can claim the victory. But it's more than that. John Newton former slaver who was turned preacher who penned the words to a great song called Amazing Grace. John Newton said this, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner. And I have a great Savior in Jesus Christ. You see, the why of remembering the victory is so that we may communicate that back over again. The why of communicating the victory, the why of remembering the victory is so that others may come to know the victorious one. The reason that we recall the victory is so that men may come to meet the one who is victorious. Because if we remember correctly, we remember where we were, right? 
We were sinners, dead in our sin, bound by the ropes of death. And we remember who God is. That He is the victorious one. We remember what He's done. That Christ came and He died for you and I. And the reason we remember that is so that we can take to others who are bound by the ropes of death. And we can share with them who God is and what He's done. I want to say this final quote again from John Newton. I want to challenge you this morning to remember the victory. Remember what God has done. In his old age, when he could no longer see to read, John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, as I said, heard someone recite the verse out of 1 Corinthians 15.10, which is where Paul said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. John Newton remained silent for a short time, and then he spoke these words. I'm not what I ought to be. Ah, how imperfect and deficient. I'm not what I might be, considering my privileges and my opportunities. I am not what I wish to be. God, who knows my heart, knows I wish to be like Him. I am not what I hope to be. Before long, I will drop this clay tabernacle to be like Him and see Him as He is. Yes, I am not what I once was, a child of sin and slave of the devil. Though not all these, not what I ought to be, not what I might be, not what I wish or hope to be, and not what I once was, I think I can truly say with the Apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. David said, therefore I will give thanks to you among the nations, and I will sing praises about your name. For you give great victories. This morning, you may have never experienced the victory of saving faith in Jesus Christ. You guys remember that old hymn? Faith is the victory. Listen, we have a victory that is worth celebrating. We have a victory that is worthy of the language of Psalm 18. We have a victory that cries out, verse 46. Oh, how good this is. The Lord lives. David the psalmist became David the prophet in a moment. He said, the Lord lives and He is my rock. The God of my salvation is exalted. When was the last time you remembered the victory and proclaimed the Lord lives. He is my rock. His salvation is to be exalted. Listen. My challenge to you this morning. Remember the victory. Remember the victory. For without it, you and I will fall time and time again.
into memories of loss. You never know the value of something until it becomes a memory. Do you remember the day that you came to know the Lord? Do you remember the circumstances? Do you remember why it was? Do you value that now that it's a memory? Remember the victory this morning. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to challenge you this morning. Christian, remember the victory. But I also understand that there may be someone here that doesn't know that victory. And I want to give you an opportunity to stand victorious today, not in your own good works. Our righteousness is but filthiness before a holy God. I don't want you to stand in victory in some false claim. I don't want you to stand in victory behind something that will only leave you empty. No, today you can have victory. You can have victory through Jesus Christ because of what He's done. One day you'll look back and you'll remember who you were. And you'll remember who God is. You'll remember what He's done for you. And something that will be valued will be that victory. You can do that today. You can come forward and say, DJ, I want to be saved. Myself or someone else will talk with you for a moment, share with you what that means, share with you what it looks like. What happens when we give our lives to the Lord. And you can celebrate this day as a day of victory. Christian, are you walking through life defeated all the time? You can't recall the victory because nothing of victory enters your mind on a daily basis. I want to remind you of your salvation today. I want to remind you of the great thing that happened whenever you moved from death into life through Jesus Christ. It's funny how a terrible day can immediately change when we're reminded of victory. I would ask you today, spend some time in prayer asking God to recall to you the victory of your salvation. Member of First Baptist Church, in this time of response,
would you ask that God would show himself victorious again in our church? That he would call one from death into life. That he would reign victorious in the salvation of another. Would you ask him that? Father God, we want to honor you at this moment. God, just as folks are sitting here, as they're praying, as they're thinking, God, I pray that we would begin to recall the sweet memories of victory. God, not of victories of days past, whenever we felt like the church was where we wanted it, not victories of days past when we felt like our nation was where we wanted it. Not victories of days past when um, we could celebrate earthly, humanly things. But God, remind us of the victory that we have in Christ. God, how good you have been to us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that when we called on the name of the Lord, we were saved. That He was the one who took the punishment for our sin. So that we could stand and proclaim. The Lord lives. He is my rock. God of my salvation is to be exalted. You spend a moment in prayer. Brandon's just going to continue to play. Spend a moment just praying. Asking God to remind you of the victory. Asking Him to reign victorious again. If you need to come and have victory today, you come find me and say, I want to be saved.